0: Several years ago on Father's Day, my daughters came excitedly into my room and woke me up early, woohoo, and said, Dad, we have a great adventure for you today. We can't wait for you to get started. Get up, get up. So I got up and uh, get dressed, and and I walk out, and they're like, Okay, your adventure starts now. Here's what you'll need. And they handed me a golf club, just a single golf club, uh, not the bag or anything, just the club, and a flashlight, and some earmuff, and a wooden spoon. <laughs> I'm like, it could be some adventure, right? So they threw me in the car, and, and we drive over to my friend Eric's house, and my buddy Steve was there, and, and all three of us guys, they were all holding super random stuff as well, <laughs> all these things. And, and the, all the kids were like, it's adventure time. So they blindfolded us, threw us in the car, and then they started driving us around the neighborhood. We were just going in circles, you know? I, we, all right, another left turn. Okay, another left turn. Here we go. We just kept going around in circles until finally I could tell we kind of hit the highway because the speed was going up and, and then we were on a gravel lot and, and we get out when we've arrived at our destination and the kids are like, can you see, can you see? No, not yet, I can't see anything yet. Do you have all your stuff for your adventure? Yes, I don't know why I'm carrying all this. Stuff. And so my girls whip the blindfold off and we are at a skydiving place. Yes, super excited. So I hurriedly put all that other junk in the car. And the first thing you do when you go skydiving is you go in and you basically sign your life away. The, the waiver form for skydiving is fairly intense. It's just page after page of things. Like if your harness malfunctions, you're not going to sue us and you're like, well, probably not, because I'm not going to be around to see you. But you just start, you start going through all this stuff, right? You're just signing your life away. They're like, listen, if, if the parachute was packed improperly, not our fault. If the plane crashes, not our fault. If you get hit by the plane on the runway, not our fault. And like, it's not really instilling you with confidence at all. You're like, what kind of crummy organization are you running here that I have to sign all this? But you're going skydiving. It doesn't matter. You would sign anything at this point. You're like, "Woo! just get me up in that plane. It's going to be awesome. And they're like, all right, if you land on a flock of ducks, not our fault. If you scream and choke on a bug, not our fault. Just keep signing. So you, you basically sign everything away and you're just excited to do it. And then you go and you take a class. You have to have a class before you can do this, which you're jumping tandem when you go, which means somebody is strapped to your back. The instructor is strapped to your back. They know what they're doing, you don't have to. So class is is this, okay, you're gonna get up there, you're gonna lean over the edge, and you're gonna fall. (laughs) It's falling, they're telling you basically you're falling. All right, and all I remember really from class though is they said, and please don't do this, please don't jerk your head back really hard and knock out your instructor. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, has that ever happened? can that happen can you do that okay that's one thing I need to know right don't do that so we, we go through class and we're super excited and then it was too cloudy to jump I know thank you for feeling my pain oh <laughs> we couldn't jump that day but a couple weeks later we went and and we got geared up and me and my buddies were there and here's a picture of us super excited to go where else can you wear really cool hats like that right <laughs> aside from skydiving it's the only time you can get away with that so, so we go and, and we get geared up, and, and you're walking out to the plane, and, and this guy's loosely strapped behind you, and he's kind of walking with you. and the plane uh, that was the plane that we went up in. And as, as we were taxiing to take off, the guy comes over and he says, uh, "We have mechanical problems. We're going to have to go back to the hangar." And all of us are like, "We have parachutes. we don't care." As long as we can get this thing in the air, we're jumping anyway. It doesn't matter. But they're like, we really need to land this thing afterwards. So so they went and took care of that. And and then, you know, we take off and we're going up. And on the inside, there's just benches. You kind of sit on these benches on the side. And I'm sitting there and this guy's behind me. And we get to 13,000 feet. And they throw the door open. And you're going to have 60 seconds of free fall going 120 miles an hour. Super excited. So so they throw the door open and you're just... Looking out, right? And when the door goes open, the guy behind me, he's like, All right, time to cinch it up here. And he puts all the straps really tight. And I like slide back towards him. And you ever have one of those moments where you say something and you're really sorry you said it afterwards? I, I lean over my shoulder and I go, Wow, to be this close in some countries, we'd be married. <laughs> like, I don't know where that came from. I just said it. And afterwards, I giggled. I was like, <laughs> And he was like, Totally, totally straight-faced. And so I thought, I've just offended this guy that I'm entrusting my life to. <laughs> so I keep trying to like, we're good, right? <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> I keep thinking, I'm going to have the only face-first landing in the history of skydiving. <laughs> That'll be his airbag or something like that. I don't know how that's going to work. But so we get up and we go to the door and he says, I'm just going to ask you once... Do you want to do this? If you say yes, there is no amount of screaming that's gonna keep us from jumping out of this plane. And if you say no when we sit down, there is no amount of whining that you could do that's gonna get us back to the door. So we get over to the door, and he's like, are you ready to do this? And I'm like, yes. Now, it's easy when you're in the lobby signing the papers, right? (laughs) Totally easy. I'm jumping, this is great. I'm totally gonna jump no problem. It's easy when you're in class. All I have to do is fall and not knock out my instructor. I'm in. But it's a whole different ballgame when you're standing up at the door and you're looking out over space and your heart's racing. And, because you know, once you jump, you can't get 15 seconds in and be like, "Ooh, this isn't for me. <laughs> I'm done. Can you take me back to the plane now? I think I've had enough. You know, once you jump, you jump, you're in. And so there's this amazing rush of a moment when you're at the edge and you're just ready to leap off. You know, that's where I feel like we are in our story. I feel like we're at this moment. I feel like we're ready to just jump into this. We spent so much time talking about the life of Jesus, and, and we know where it's leading, and we know what's been planned, and we know what's been prophesied. And finally, we're right here. We're ready to leap off into like this moment, the moment, the history-defining moment that's happening in Scriptures. And we're ready to go. And we're also going to see that, that there's a moment for Peter There's a moment for the disciples. It's it's a moment for us, too, where we can kind of get to the edge. And and are we ready to kind of leap into the kingdom of Jesus? It's going to define us. Are we ready to go into what Jesus has shaped for us? We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If you want to grab one off the pew there, it's on page 1603. Now, if you came this weekend and you're like, yeah, it's Palm Sunday, Bring on the Palm Sunday message. Well, honestly, we're we're a little past that in our story. Uh, Mark chapter 11 talks about Palm Sunday. Mark chapters 12 and 13, Jesus has some parables that he talks through. He talks about the greatest commandment. He talks about the resurrection. He talks about the future. And then Mark 14 kind of brings us to the edge. We have what Steve talked about last week. He talked about Mary anointing Jesus. And then we have Judas agreeing to betray Jesus, and then we have the last supper, and here we go. We're at the edge. We're ready to leap. So they have the last supper, and Jesus says there that one of you is going to betray me. But after that, as they were walking out, he said to the rest of his disciples, all of you are going to desert me. And Peter's great. He protests the loudest. He's like, there's no chance. Jesus, I'm not like all these other people, even these disciples. I'm not like them. I'm with you. I'm sticking with you. There's no way. And Jesus, in verse 30, he says, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter's like, no, no, there's no chance of that. There's no chance of that. And so they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and and Jesus is anguished in prayer, and he's praying, and the disciples are sleeping. And it's hard to blame them. They just had a big meal. It's late. Jesus has said confusing things to them Countless times that they didn't quite understand. And so they don't really see this as the moment. And so they're asleep. And he's like waking them up and then they're falling back asleep. And, and then the moment happens. And we're going to start in verse 43. Judas shows up. It says, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. And this is where we get the term, the kiss of death. It's from Judas. Then the others, the mob, the ones with the clubs and the swords, they grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest slave, slashing off his ear. Now we know from John chapter 18 that, that this is Peter. And you might stop at this point of the story and go, well, What's going on? Like, where did that come from? Why'd well, Peter all like fruit ninja on this guy? You know? <laughs> what's he thinking? He's packing a sword? Luke gives us more detail on this passage. And in Luke 22, it's, it's just before this happens. And Jesus says, hey, remember the last time I sent you out, guys? And I said, don't take extra sandals. You won't need an extra coat. You won't need a bag. Don't take travel money with you. All of that's gonna be taken care of. He says, but this time I'm sending you out and it's different. He says, this time, take your money, take a travel bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And the disciples say, well, listen, we have... We have two swords among us right now. And Jesus says, okay, that's enough. Let's go. And it's kind of this interesting lead in. And so maybe, maybe Peter's thinking, well, Jesus, you just talked about the sword and, and I have one. And if Jesus has the other, we're good to go. Bring it on. But Jesus rebuked him because it wasn't about that. And he, and he healed this man's ear. Verse 48, Jesus says to the, to the mob, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. See, right here, the contrast of kingdoms becomes very clear. You see, all through this study, we've been talking about the kingdom of Jesus and how it's so different than the kingdom of this world. Well, we get to this point and it's very clear what the difference is. You see, a kingdom, when we say kingdom, it really just means an administration, a a way of ordering things, a new set of assumptions or goals. And, And Jesus has flipped everything upside down. And when you read Matthew 5 and Luke chapter 6, you see Jesus is saying, okay, there's a new way to be blessed. These are these are the ways that you're blessed when you're poor, when you're hungry, those who weep, the humble, the justice seekers The merciful, the pure of heart, those who work for peace, when people curse you and mock you and exclude you from my name, that's when you're blessed. There's also things that are curses. There's a way to be cursed in Luke 6. He says, you know, if you're rich, fat, prosperous, praised by the crowd, that's not a good thing. And so he's taken these kingdoms and he's, he's kind of flipped them upside down. So Judas comes with this mob expecting some type of resistance, which he does get from Peter, but he doesn't get from Jesus. Because Jesus says, listen, my kingdom isn't about that. The revolution that I'm leading isn't about clubs and swords, it's different. We have the opportunity to view revolutions. We can see revolutions happening in different parts of the world. And, and when a re- revolution happens in a different country, it usually keeps the same priority list. Usually the same things are at the top of that list. Money, greed, power, position. And when the revolution comes, it's just a reordering of who has the money, the greed, the power, and the position. It's just a new person at the head of that regime. Well, when Jesus comes, he says, my revolution is different. You can't stop my revolution with swords because it wasn't built with swords. It's not about swords. You can't suppress my revolution with power because it's not about that kind of power at all. That's not the kind of kingdom that I'm leading. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna put others ahead of myself. I'm gonna love my enemies. I'm gonna serve and sacrifice myself for other people. I'm not gonna repay evil with evil. I'm gonna repay evil with good. I'm gonna give up my power, my position, even my life. I'm going to put new things at the top of the priority list. It's going to be weakness, poverty, suffering, and rejection. This is my kingdom. It's like survival of the weakest. He's saying, this is how I want you to live. When you live this way, then you're following me. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Mexico with an amazing group of high school students. And again, I thank you for your sacrificial giving to us and your prayers for us. And we had the opportunity to build five houses in four days. It was absolutely amazing. Now, before I left, I got this picture here of one of the houses that a family was living in. And it literally was just things that they had found on the side of the road or in the garbage dump. And the roof wasn't really all there. And, and they had torn this down. And in four days, our students and leaders had built this little creamsicle house here on the left, which is pretty awesome, And uh, even that house further over on the right, they built two in that location and three more elsewhere. And I show you those pictures to say thank you again, but to say this, when our students got there, they had their worlds turned upside down. You see, when they got there, it wasn't about promoting themselves, it wasn't about themselves looking good, it was all about the sacrifice that it took to get there, the sacrifice that it was taking to build for other people, the serving and loving on other people. And you know what students say to me all the time when they do this? I feel fully alive. I feel fully alive because I'm living according to these kingdom principles of Jesus and not according to the kingdom principles of this world. You see, Peter knew about Jesus' kingdom, right? But when it came down to it, his instinct was to reach for his sword. I mean, you can talk peace all you want, but when you're under attack, right? Peter was all Jackie Chan. He was like, (laughs) but we're the same way, right? We can talk kingdom principles all we want, but what happens when we're under attack? What happens when it really comes down to it? Let's say that you have a high-paying job. I just promoted some of you. Most of you maybe, I don't know. And then and then you lose that job, knowing that you will never again be able to recover that standard of living. If you're living according to the kingdom principles of this world, that's a death sentence you feel like your life is over and all you can think about is how can I get back to that economic status? How can I get back into that position? How can I get my stuff back? But if you're living according to the principles of Jesus' kingdom, you look at it a little bit different. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that you don't have questions about it. But you come face to face with what your true treasure really is you know that your list is different. You see, when you understand that you're made right right by grace and not your achievements, then you don't have to strive for power and position. We're free to serve those who use us. We're free to pass up on career advancements for more important things. We're free to give in ways that other people question because we're not living according to that same list. And that's honestly a tough way to live It's tough to get up to the edge for us and to feel like, okay, boy, if I jump into the kingdom of Jesus, this is going to be difficult. Because when you really get there, you start to question, do I really believe this? And do I really trust the guy who says he has my back? Is he really going to get me safely to the bottom? And so we spend a lot of our lives taking kind of the kingdom of Jesus list and the kingdom of this world list and trying to mix them together. Our lists get mixed up. It happened with Peter. It happened with the disciples. Verse 50, it says, all of his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Most scholars believe that that was actually Mark, that Mark was that young man. And basically he was just saying this, I was there and I was just as bad as the rest of them. And so it's interesting, right? We have another garden, another test failed, another naked and afraid. And yet in this garden, we have one person who's passing the test. We have one person who is setting up a new kingdom. We have one person who is doing what he knows needs to be done. And the contrast between Jesus and Peter is pretty clear at this point. Jesus before the council and Peter before the courtyard. Jesus stands before the council and they're making up stories and they can't get their stories straight and they keep contradicting themselves. And, and then they ask Jesus a question and he's given opportunities to say things that would get him out of this situation. Even truthful things. How many times did we read in the book of Mark where people asked Jesus really difficult questions and he answered in such a way that he just blew them away, that they were amazed, that they didn't know what to say, that they were like, surely you are right on this one. But Jesus knew what had to be done, and so he chose the path of truth and he chose the path that would save us all. Peter had several opportunities to choose the truth, and each time he chose to save himself. Peter knew that the kingdom principle was there of self-sacrifice, but he also knew that self-preservation was a pretty good principle too. And so he didn't choose the path of truth. You see, there's almost always a path that is easier than the path of truth. There's a path that costs less in the short term, but always costs more in the long term. We want to read about Peter's betrayal and I do want to say this. Peter was this amazing mix of like courage and cowardice. There were things that he did that were amazing. I mean, Peter's the one that got out of the boat. Peter's the one that declared Jesus as the Messiah. Peter's the one that pulled out the sword. And we can say, you know, I can say, oh, I would have never denied Jesus in that courtyard. But the truth is, I probably would have never made it to that courtyard in the first place. I probably wouldn't have had the courage to follow Jesus that closely to even get there. And so there's this mix in him as we read about his denial. Verse 66, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. Can you get that picture? Peter's followed Jesus and he couldn't even get into the courtyard until John knew somebody and John got him in. He's at the fire and he's, he's shoulder to shoulder with servants and maybe soldiers. And the guy that, that he's given his life to over the past several years, the one that he's declared Messiah is on trial for his life. And so Peter does what I think most of us would have done in that situation. He, he lied to save himself. See, she looked at him closely and she said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about," he said, and he went out into the entryway. He kind of got out of that situation. I I don't. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not really sure that that was. I I don't know. What? I went to a Christian high school, and one time the local uh, news channel came to the high school. They were doing a series about education, and they came to the high school to interview some of the staff and one of the students. Well, my principal came and asked me, would you be willing to sit for this interview? And I was like, sure, let's do it. So we went into this room, and they had the news camera and the interviewer there, and they were just asking me questions. And I was sharing all kinds of stuff about, man, we have great teachers that, that care about us and great administration, and we pray before class. It's just something that we do that means a lot, and you can kind of get those requests out there. And our teachers care about education, but they also care about our relationship with Jesus, and that's huge. And so I shared all of this with the, the person doing the interview, and then it showed that night at 11, and my parents were so proud. And then the next day, I went to the neighborhood basketball court to play ball with a bunch of guys that didn't go to my school. And when I showed up on court, right away, two of these guys were like, hey, hey. Didn't I see you on the news last night? What was that all about? And I was like, oh, first of all, who knew these guys watched the news? (laughs) Second of all, they're calling me out on this story. And you know what my first instinct was? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Right? And I kind of mumbled my way through. They were like, yeah, you were on the news. And I was like, "Ah, (laughs) (laughs) are we playing ball here or what? Are we going to stand around and talk or are we playing ball, people? Let's go. And I totally, I just understand this. Like, I I don't know what you're talking about because it's just easier. It's just easier than it is to stand up. The servant girl saw him standing there again and, and she began telling other people, right? It's bad enough when one person knows and now she's telling all of these other people. This man is definitely one of them, but Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter. Now, John 18 tells us that Peter was confronted by a relative of the person that he just hacked their ear off. Awkward, right? I mean, here's Peter. He chops off this guy's ear, and then he bumps into a relative. It's not a great situation. Of course, what are you going to say? And this is where, verse 71, it says, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. Peter didn't even mention Jesus' name. I don't know this man. And maybe the harshness in Peter's response is just there to cover up a growing frustration that he feels with himself. This kind of something that is rising in him that is just making him super uncomfortable. And I always wonder what would have happened if Peter would have just said, yep. Yeah, I'm a disciple, that's me. But we'll never know, will we? We won't know because Peter got to the edge and instead of leaping just kind of into this kingdom and trusting the guy that's got his back, he had a panic moment and he kind of backed up and he sat down. And I think the story of Peter is the story of us. I think we're all a mix of courage and cowardice and in one minute we're brave and determined and the next minute we can be uncertain and denying. And I don't know how that takes shape in your world, but let me ask you this question. In what ways do you deny Jesus? I mean, when it really costs you something, how do you deny Jesus? I think about our students. And oftentimes they have situations at school where the topic of religion is brought up and people say, how can you believe in that stuff? And our students have a choice. Maybe that happens in your workplace where the name of Jesus is brought up. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> but maybe it's easier for you to just be like, oh, you know, there's not, it's not really the time or place to talk about this. And I don't I don't really have time to explain this whole situation. And so I just I just won't really say anything. Sometimes when I'm traveling, people ask, you know, what is it that you do? And I oftentimes say I work with high school students. And I leave the pastor part out, because I know when I say the pastor part, it can go a bunch of different directions. Sometimes when you say, I'm a pastor, they go, oh, (laughs) you have the plague, (laughs) right? Or sometimes they just start, oh, I went to church once. I've even had people start confessing stuff to me. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, you know, when I was little, I'm like, I don't do that. Hey. (laughs) And so I know sometimes it's just easier to not say it. Maybe you say you follow Jesus, but your actions deny him. Your actions deny his kingdom. Maybe you deny him in far more subtle ways by the things that you do in secret. Maybe you deny the lordship of Jesus in your life. Maybe you've given Jesus your spiritual life. Like, Jesus, you can have Sunday mornings, and you can have my Bible study time, and you can have Holy Week. That's kind of important. That's you. That's you. But I'm going to take care of my personal life and my work life and my family life. I got those things. You got the spiritual life. And so we deny his lordship. Maybe we deny his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, his forgiveness. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can deny him. I mean, it's almost as if we're continually called to live in the middle of this tense situation where Jesus is on trial and we're kind of there and people are pointing fingers at us and we're confused and people are saying things about Jesus that aren't true. But there's this tension that we live in. And what do we do with that? What do we do with that tension? What do we do with those times in our lives, even, that we've gotten up to the edge and we're like, yeah, Jesus, I believe in you. I just can't make the leap. And we back up and sit down. What did that look like for Peter? Luke 22, again, gives us more detail on this situation. And it's up here. It says, at that moment, this was after the third denial. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, I don't know how that courtyard was set up, but we know that there there was some direct line of sight so that when Peter said that that third time, when he just adamantly denied knowing Jesus, Jesus looked straight at him. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You know, my tendency is to read that passage and to just think of what Jesus looked like. And, and in my head, Jesus looked like this. Right? This kind of like, seriously? I told you. I knew you were gonna do this, idiot. Can't believe you. Right? Just this kind of stern though, like Jesus was just like, hmm, I told you. But that, that's not Jesus, right? That's not who Jesus is. Jesus looked at Peter knowingly, the Bible says, knowing what he did. Jesus looked at Peter lovingly. He looked at Peter with compassion. You see, in this moment for Peter, the self-reliance is gone, the arrogance is gone, his Clint Eastwood persona is gone, and he's broken. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? You see, Judas betrayed, Peter betrayed. Judas thought he could fix it by throwing the coins back in the temple. Peter knew that it was beyond his ability to fix. And so he wept bitterly, he repented. You see, we see regret, we see repentance, and we see restoration in the story of Peter. Peter. John 21 tells us about that restoration. There's a great verse in in Mark chapter 16 where the angel's talking to the woman at the tomb and, and he says, go tell his disciples, including Peter. Like Peter's still part of the team. He's still one of the guys. His failures were not final. Our failures are not final. But somehow we think they are. We have this mathematical view of God and we feel like God just weighs our sins and and when it gets too heavy on this side, we're just done. That we've done too much bad stuff. But the Bible says that God is infinite. That his love for us is infinite. His mercy is infinite. His grace is infinite. That God is infinity, infinity. And sometimes if we want to stay mathematical, we want to number our sins. Like sometimes we do stuff that's just little and we're like, oh, that was a negative five. And sometimes we do stuff that's like, that was a negative five million. But here's the beauty. Since God is infinite, what happens when you subtract five million from infinity? You still have infinity. You can subtract five million, five million times from infinity. It's still Infinity. Our sin does not diminish the love of God. Our sin does not diminish the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. Our failures are not final. And so even though we've had several opportunities to leap in and to trust in his kingdom and to trust in him and backed away, we are still offered that forgiveness, So I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what things that you need to step up to and step into and leap into. Maybe for you, it's just it's speaking up. Maybe there are so many times when you have not spoken up. Maybe now's the time to speak up. Maybe it's inviting. This is a great week to invite somebody to church. And I have to say honestly to you, I'm standing up on this stage because when I was four years old, my parents had friends that invited them to church for the first time. And my parents went and met Jesus, and it changed their lives radically. And the change in their life meant a change in my life. And I'm here because somebody invited my parents to church. Maybe it's speaking up for you. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe there's forgiveness that you need to offer to somebody else, and you've been so hesitant to do that, and you just keep backing away from that forgiveness. Maybe for you, it's just feeling like the weight of what you've done in the past is so heavy that you're done. And you need to jump off. You just need to confess. You need to repent. And you need to receive that forgiveness. When I got to the edge of the door there and he asked me that question and I said yes, I just remember, whoo, out into space. It was so awesome. I screamed as loud as I could scream, but you couldn't hear me because air was flowing into my mouth at 120 miles an hour. I was like, And there was such a sense of peace. And it was so absolutely amazing. What an experience. What an experience to trust in the kingdom of Jesus, to sit with it this week, understanding what he did for us and how sometimes we're courageous, sometimes we're full of cowardice. And yet we can trust in him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you had the courage to set your face towards Jerusalem, to walk that road, to accomplish what needed to be accomplished on our behalf. Jesus, I thank you that on the cross you got what we deserve so we could get what you deserve. Jesus, we praise you for that. Thank you for making the way. And I pray that you would continue to bless us with courage, with determination, with trust and belief in you. God, as we sit this week and remember the sacrifice that you made for us, continue to strengthen our hearts. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.